I'd like for you to turn to the third chapter of the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippians. And I'll be reading 13 and 14 of the third chapter. So it's Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Eugene Bryce tells about something that happened to him while he was on vacation. They were pulling one of these pop-up trailers. It was a good size load. And he said they, they were in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and they saw a sign telling about the Acoma Pueblos. I think that's how you pronounce it. And they turned off the road and started up this mountain to visit those Pueblos. He said they could see it up there, uh, high on the top of that mesa. And he said they'd gone a great deal of, uh, you know, climbed a great deal of height. And they came to a, a place where there was a parking area where you could pull over and park. And the paved road stopped. And a dirt road just wound around up this hill to that mesa. And so the discussion was, um, how are we going to get from here on up to the top? And, and, and Bryce's wife said, well, we probably need to park here. We don't need to try to pull that trailer up there. And, and Bryce said, no, we're going to drive up there. And the son said, Dad, we need to, we need to walk. We need to exercise besides, and we're not trying. He said, no, we're going to drive. The daughter said, Dad, we can't make it in the car. He said, no, we can make it. We're going to drive. The wife said again, now, honey, we, got, we can't try to. And he said, haven't y'all heard that story about the little engine that could? He said, this little engine can. So he said, we pulled out on the dirt road against everybody's advice, and I started up that last uh, part of that trip. He said, after a little while, the little engine decided it couldn't. And so it got overloaded and heated up and just stopped. So now he decided, he said, now I'm faced with how to get back down the hill with this trailer. And he said, I can't, I can't back a trailer in a straight line, much less down a winding, steep mountain road. So he said, I unhitched from the trailer and he said, I held on for dear life while that sucker rolled down that hill at a fast rate to that, that parking spot. And he said, I learned something that day about pulling heavy trailers. He said, I learned that, that as long as the road is level and smooth, no problem. But if the road ever gets steep and the way ever gets rough, you have to unhitch from the trailer and unload from the load. In the most insightful sentence that the Apostle Paul ever penned, he urges us to unhitch from the trailer. And he says that, that you need to, to unload some of this baggage you're carrying around in life. For if you don't, one day it'll grind you to a stop. And this is how he says it. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The sermon this morning is about 
forgetting. Now it may seem kind of strange to preach a sermon like this on Memorial Weekend because this is a weekend that's designed to help us remember. And we're constantly being uh, reminded that, that there are so many things and so many sacrifices that we are prone to forget. And so all across this country today and tomorrow, people gather together to remember the faces and the sacrifices and the commitments of others that we have forgotten. But I submit to you that the bigger problem that most of us have is not that we forget too much. Our problem is that we don't forget enough. Forgetting those things which are behind. Now that seems like a pretty... uh, uh, Difficult thing to do. I mean, we've tried that, haven't we? I mean, there are a lot of things that you and I have tried to forget and can't. It's like saying, don't worry, you know. And just because you try to forget that uh, mortgage payment doesn't mean it gets paid. And you may try to forget about that, that rattle in that old car you drive, but that doesn't make it go away. Pretty poor advice, we might say. And isn't it true that it is our retentions of the lessons of the past that that make us better? Should we forget? One man was asked, a very successful businessman was asked the secret of his success. He said, oh, that's simple, two words, right decisions. Somebody said, well, how do you make those right decisions? He said, oh, simple, one word, experience. Well, how do you get experience? He said, two words, wrong decisions. It is true that the person who refuses to learn from the past is condemned to repeat it. And isn't it true that if we retain these lessons of the past, that, that they help us to be better? And because we retain these people from the past and remember them and their sacrifices, the fact that they have given us a community and a, and a freedom and a church and a life that we are made grateful So if Paul's not talking about these things, what's he talking about? It is obvious that he knows from personal experience that if you carry around too much of the past, it'll get you down. And it's obvious that he knows from personal experience that the way to live effectively and the way to make it up some of these hills that just loom in the center of our path is is the ability to unhitch from the trailer and unload from the load. Well, what are these things that we are to forget? His list would probably be identical with yours. First, our trailer gets loaded down with these disappointments of the way life has turned out for us. Disappointments. The Apostle Paul knew disappointment from first-hand experience, for after all, he wrote this from prison. And I'm absolutely convinced that that prison was not in his original plan. I just can't see the Apostle Paul, after having been converted on the way to Damascus, head off down to Arabia, spend three years there, trying to really work out, work through God's call for his life and his plan for him, and writing down in his plan book, well, I'm going to spend... 15 years working for the gospel. 
I'm going to spend 15 years traveling and enduring hardship, and then I'm going to head on down to Rome and spend the rest of my time in prison. No, prison was a disappointment for this man. But he sure did handle it well. As a matter of fact, some of the greatest prayers he ever prayed are prison prayers. And some of the greatest epistles he ever wrote are prison epistles. Somehow this man was able to unhitch from this trailer and unload from this load of disappointment. Not a few of us needs to do that this morning. For our lives and our agendas are riddled with life's disappointments. This job I have didn't turn out like it was cracked up to be and so I got all this education and now I hate my job. Wish I could get out of it and I'm unprepared for anything else. This, these children didn't graduate, didn't work out, didn't turn out like I hoped. This marriage failed and now I'm left alone or I'm trapped in a relationship that I hate. This, this uh, house was a poor investment. This job went bust. And down with it went all of my life savings. And the list goes on and on and on. And I suppose that at some point everybody wakes up in the middle of the night and asks himself, is this all there is to it? A number of years ago, a Chinese scholar by the name of, of Chen Shantian wrote an essay that that gained him much notoriety, won a, some kind of a publisher's prize. And, and, um, and in this, this essay, the theme of this essay was, My 33 Happy Moments. Now can you imagine anything more tragic than that? To sit down and describe your life and picture 30, the, the, the happy moments of your life and can find only 33 happy moments? How many happy moments can you count? And some of the greatest disappointments of all are, one of the greatest disappointments of all is grief. And some of us have never been able to get beyond the disappointment of grief, left alone. Disraeli put it like this, grief is the agony of an instant, indulged grief is the burden of a lifetime. And some of you carry around that burden of indulged grief and that's your burden of a lifetime. A few years ago, a television program that was, that was um, designed to picture these little funny things that happen in the world uh, told about a package that was mailed to, uh, to a prison, to a prisoner in a prison in one of the states. And this package came back stamped, escaped, left no forwarding address. <laughs> I guess so. Now, if you ever escape from the dis disappointments of life and the only way you're ever going to get out of that prison is to unhitch from the trailer, if you ever get out of it, if you ever escape from the disappointments, though that weight that you've been carried around, be a good thing if you left no forwarding address because they sure want to catch up with you. Second, not only is our trailer loaded with disappointment often, but how about our, our bitterness 
our resentment of others. Know anything about that? The Apostle Paul knew that from first-hand experience. Now, he was not perfect. It may surprise you. The Apostle Paul was a man like us. Well, he probably had a closer walk with God than most of us, but he was a human being. He wasn't perfect. And he certainly knew something about resentment. So in one epistle after another, he remembers those people who let him down, falsely accused him, slandered him, never forgot them. And so to the Colossians he wrote about Demas. He remembered Demas and he said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And in the third chapter of Galatians, he, he thinks of Simon Peter. He calls him Cephas. And he tells how that Cephas was dishonest in his relationship with him, Paul, and would say one thing one place and another thing another place. And to Timothy he wrote, Alexander the coppersmith has done me much harm, beware of him. And near the end of his life he said, at my last defense nobody stood with me. You think he didn't know something about resentment? If you had to sit sometime for a year or so in a pastor's chair, what you would hear would be stories of people pouring out their heart of how they were betrayed. Some partner that cheated them, some parent that abused them, some spouse that betrayed them. I hear it all the time. I feel the pulse of people who understand that others in life don't always treat them fairly. It's true. They don't always do what they said they would do. And there is a sense of resentment, sometimes, you know, justified. And it doesn't take much of a memory this morning to recall all of those things that people have said about you that they had no right to say they shouldn't have said. You, you can remember those things, can't you? I remember a lot of them. Hard to forget them. And it doesn't take much of a memory to call to mind those things that people have done to you unfairly and unjustly. I can remember a lot of them, can't you? They're hard to forget. We'd like to take them like these little memories and put them in our purse or pocket because we like to dwell on them sometimes. And in our quiet moments and our privacy, they come back into our lives like vicious animals that have escaped from some cage and they just roam around in our lives to make us miserable, resentment. A few years ago in a science, scientific laboratory in Brazil, they had this radioactive isotope and somehow through carelessness they got it discarded in the trash. Now everybody's trash is somebody's treasure. And so there were these scavengers going through this trash and they found this radioactive isotope. They didn't know what it was, so they handled it. One even tasted it. I don't have to tell you the rest of the story. It destroyed them. That's what resentment does. You carry it around and you handle it long enough. You taste it. 
Even though it may please you to taste it for a while, you taste it for a while and it will destroy you. And so you must and I must unhitch from that trailer. You say, well, that's not easy. That's easier said than done. It sure is. What about the regrets we have of past mistakes? The Apostle Paul was an unusual man. He, 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 um, nobody mapped out his life for him. He was his own dispatcher. And, and because of that, every day for him was a crossroads. So he, he had to make a decision concerning his life every day. Nobody, you know, nobody was there to tell him what to do. And, and of course, as he tried to find God's will for his life and, and search out God's plan for his life, he, he faced these crossroad decisions like, should I go to Corinth? Should I stay in Ephesus? Should I travel to Galatia? And he must have second-guessed himself from time to time. I know, he, I know he regretted how he treated John Mark. I know that, and he spent the rest of his time trying to make up for that, as a matter of fact. And when he went down to Athens, he just blew it down there. I mean, he, he had the... Greek intelligentsia in the palm of his hand, the academic world at his, at his disposal, and he got up to preach on Morris Hill, and most people who know more theology than I know say he really fell flat. His sermon was a bust. He must have felt like most preachers do. Sometimes I feel like that most of the time. I'd rather go out the back door and have him to face you up there, you know. And I can just see the Apostle Paul in some private moment thinking to himself, man, I blew it. I had this wonderful opportunity to declare Christ to this, this intellectual world and I tried to be too cute. Shortly after that he said, I determined not to know anything among you save Christ and Him crucified. He second-guessed himself. And so Corinth was in a mess down there. He's thinking to himself, I wonder what I should have done differently in the church. I wonder what if, what if. You know something about that, don't you? Those big what-ifs that come. What if? It's a haunting thing when a man tries to figure out how his life would have been different had it turned in a different direction. That's a haunting thing, isn't it? What if I'd gone to a different university? What if I'd taken a different job? What if I'd have married a different woman or man? What if? I think of Ralph Branca often. I've mentioned him before. Ralph Branca, Branca was the pitcher that threw the ball that Bobby Thompson knocked back over the left field fence and rocketed the Giants into the World Series instead of the Dodgers, even though the Dodgers had a 13-game lead in August. I heard Duke Snyder, who has a new book out, I heard him interviewed on a talk show not long ago. He said, Ralph Branca never got over that. He talked about it, he thought about it. Can't you just see him? Saying to himself, oh, what if, if I'd just thrown a curve instead of a fastball, if I'd just kept it down and in, why didn't I do that? Why did I shake off the catcher? How would my life have been different if I had never been called from the bullpen? Can't you just see him? My father worked for a while in the, in the oil boom in Burke Burnett, Texas. Back in, the, back in the 20s. And uh, 
he, he tells a story about, you know, all of a sudden they, they just hit these gushers out there, and kind of like East Texas, and, and these guys were instant millionaires. And he said he was work, they were working there, and there's no paved roads or anything, just mud and slosh and mud and, and, and gook. And, and he said it, 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 there was this one guy just kind of kept standing around just like he's in a daze, like he was drunk, just in a stupor. And one day they ask, he asked somebody, what, what about him? He said, well, that guy, a year ago, he said, that man owned most of the land right here in Burt Burnett. And he got the itch to go to California. And he sold all his land for nothing. And he went out to California and he, he made a bad investment. He was broke. And he came back to Burt Burnett, Texas and stood there and watched and underneath the ground he walked on, he owned, was a treasure, and he gave it away. What if, he said, and he never got over it. And the moving finger writes, and having writ moves on, nor all your piety nor wit can lure it back or cancel half a line of it. You might as well forget it. It's over. It's past. It's history. And you say, well, preacher, how do you do that? I mean, you get up here and you tell us something we already know, but you don't tell us anything we don't know. You, how do you do that? Well, that's another sermon. As a matter of fact, what this book about is about, what this letter to the Philippians is about is how you unhitch from the trailer. And I, 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 my favorite book in the New Testament, and I believe that if you took the book of Philippians and you took a chapter a day and you read it for about a month, you would find the secret of how to unhitch from the trailer. I'll just brush two or three things in conclusion. There's got to be a reassessment of attitude. And so Paul said, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who though he was equal with God, saw it not something to covet or cling to, but emptied himself and became a servant, obedient to death, even the death of the cross. What is your attitude? The attitude of a servant? Before you can unhitch from the past, there has to be a realignment of priorities. He said, this one thing I do, I press on, I press toward the prize of the high calling which is in Christ Jesus. What is most important in your life? There must be the redirecting of thought life. He said, whatever things are pure, whatever things are just, noble, noble, pure, wholesome, you think on these things, you put your mind, your thought life on those things and focus it there. There must be the reestablishment of devotional life. You know what he's saying? He's saying the way to unhitch from the past. And by the way, you never are able to live in the present until you until you let go of the past, is by the reestablishing of a relationship with Christ that's meaningful. He mentions him 40 times in the, New Test in the book of Philippians. And he cries, Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, and that I might be conformed to the image of his dying. Do you know him like that? I'm thinking today of George MacDonald. George MacDonald, one of the most 
powerful new writers and Christian literature. Uh, broke his vow and had a real, an uh, adulterous relationship with a woman. He's come out with a new book. Um, what is the name of that book? Skip. Flat left me. Where's Judy Overton? She's passing that thing out like. Thank you very much. Reordering your life, or George MacDonald said that he got he and his wife one day got to a hotel and. And, and he had all his baggage, and, 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 and all of a sudden he realized he didn't have any cash to tip. So the guy said, let me get your bags. He said, no, that's okay, I'll get them. I'll get them. You, you've had that, haven't you? That man, I don't to tip this guy. He'll want all my money. So I'll just carry his bags myself. He said, no, I said, that's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll carry them. Started in the hotel. Some guy came up, I guess the head, head honcho, he came up to him and said, here, let me get somebody to get your bags for you, sir. No, he said, no, no, no problem, no problem, I'll get them. No problem. And he, and he said, about the time he got halfway down into the hotel, the bell captain, the bellhop, came up. He said, sir, your bags, let me get your bags. And oh, he said, no, no way. He said, I got them. And he said, as though he must have read my mind, he said. Well, all the gratuities and tips are included in your, in your, your stay here. He said, you don't have to tip. Um, that's already been paid for. Are you listening to me? You don't have to carry around all that baggage. It's already been paid for. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I pray today that we'll be able to release all that disappointment, all that resentment, all those regrets what might have been release that to the one who has already paid for them so that we might live and we hear again his word it is I no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me. For me to live is Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I pray that we'll bring all the baggage that we've tried to pull up the steep hills of life to Him. Let Him carry them. Because I ask in Jesus' name for His sake. Look here, please. There are three invitations this morning. One invitation is for you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. The psalmist says that He not only forgives our sin, He forgives the guilt of it. I love it. That you can bring that baggage that sin and all the guilt that attends it and he'll forgive it. Would you come this morning placing your faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe for the first time many of you, some of you have never for the first time given your life to him. Would you consider this morning this, this decision 
to place your life in the fellowship of this church. Or maybe there's some of you who just need to come this morning and say, I want to redirect my thought life, reassess my values, realign my priorities. I want to reestablish my relationship with God. Whatever you need to do, let God be the one who determines it. You just be obedient, would you? While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.